Yo, 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 it's Sports Decaf, and it's your boy Thodak Fatul. What's up, guys? What's happening? It's the one and only Thodak Abdullah. It's a Monday, bro, and, you know, weather's beautiful outside. I want to just go start hooping or do something, but let's talk about some hoop stuff, and that's what it comes down to. So we're going to be discussing some L.A. Lakers, uh, I said LeBron James, I mean Lonzo Ball, departuring from BBB, March Madness, and we're really going to be discussing that Duke versus UCF game. And number 87, Rob Gronkowski just retired, and where does he go on the all-time tight end list? But for right now, the question of the day is, is the bar set higher for players to succeed in this era of basketball? It's a no-brainer. It's a yes, because we got to keep in mind, you know, players in this era have got to do a lot more to really stand out. You got a guy like Mike Conley, you know, he, he can, you know, flirt with an 18-8 and eight game, you know, night in, night out. He's never made an all-star game. You, 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 but one thing I wanted to get to was Colin Sexton. All right, I know, I know he's not you know, a special player yet, but he's going to be nice in the coming years. So it's his first season in the league. He's putting up 16 points. He's shooting 41% from the three, 40%, 42% from the field. Three rebounds, three assists a game, 31 minutes. You know, he pretty much starts night in, night out. Kobe Bryant, I know Colin Sexton isn't the Kobe Bryant before y'all come at me. But Kobe Bryant's second season in the league, he gave you 15, 3, and 2, shooting 42% from the field and 34% from three. Kobe made an all-star that second year. Colin Sexton, you know, didn't even make the Rising Stars game. So that just shows you a lot that I'm not saying Colin Sexton is at a level of Kobe Bryant. It just shows in order to stand out and really succeed in this league from others, you've really got to put in, you know, more. You've got to do a lot more because – that's the only way you're going to succeed in the NBA. And we see it with Andrew Wiggins, one of the most talented guys in the league. And he just can't seem to get it under control because it's a work ethic issue. The guy doesn't work hard enough. And we've seen if you don't work hard enough in the NBA or anything you do in life, that next guy in line is there to take it from you. Uh, as opposed to back then. If, back then in the NBA, if you were talented, you're there to stay and you know, you're there for a pretty long time. We've seen it with MJ whenever he retired, came back. You know, year and a half layoff, just about wins three more rings. So I mean, not a lot of no one in the NBA nowadays can just take off a year and a half and come and win. I mean, it's just it's just not like that because there's always that next guy working harder. So in the NBA, in terms of you know, really setting the bar, I think this era is up by a lot. Number one, you tried comparing Colin Sexton to Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant won 61 and 21 in that season, and he was the second best player on that team. A little bit about basketball. I my wasn't friend. comparing. I was just the numbers. No, no, okay, I oh, know. And uh, the numbers. I said it. I said okay. Kobe. Okay, wait. And number Sexton number are not number the same one. Guy. Number one. Colin Sexton is playing for the worst team in the NBA. Number two, Kobe Bryant was on a 61-21 win team. And if, a little thing about the NBA is, if you're the second best player on the best team in the league, you're basically guaranteed an All Star spot. You think of Kyle Lowry. Look at Chris Middleton. They've basically reached All Star positions due to their team success, and that's what it comes down to. Number two. I think that the bar is – I definitely agree with you on the talent aspect. I think this this era of basketball is definitely the most talented era that we've ever seen in today. Not in terms of talent, I okay, think overall. I, okay, and I didn't interrupt you when you talked, so you're going you're gonna, yeah. to sit here and listen I mean, to I me. never said you – I never so, said talent, though. So. Okay, so then so you, so you look at someone obviously like Andrew Wiggins and whatnot. He has to work hard, and there's a bunch of players that kind of get overshadowed. You look at Luka Doncic. He put up all-star numbers, and he did not get an all-star game. However, I'm thinking about in terms of – 
team success and you look at a player and I think of whenever I think of player success, I obviously think about the all-star games and whatnot, but I think championship comes down to it. And that's what, it, that's really what I think. I think back in the, in the nineties, especially you had the M, you had the MJ led bulls versus, you know, John Stockton and Carl Malone, or you, you basically what, what I'm trying to say is that you did not know who was going to win a championship and therefore player success was at a much higher rate. I mean, you definitely look at the New York Knicks. Patrick Ewing had to put the team on his back. Hakeem Olajuwon with the Houston Rockets. Nowadays in the NBA, you kind of look at the Golden State Warriors and you're like, and you point at them and you're like, okay, that's the team that's going to win it all. You look at the Toronto Raptors or the Milwaukee Bucks and it's really down to those two and you're like, those two teams are coming out the East. Back then, however, you had a handful of teams that, and you really did not know who was going to win at all. And it was kind of like that in the early 2000s. You kind of ha- you had your New Jersey Nets, your Dallas Mavericks could make some noise, and you even looked at the one and eight seeds with the Dallas Mavericks and the Golden State Warriors. Golden State Warriors beat the Dallas Mavs. So you really do not know what's going to happen. That's why, for me personally, I think that there is a more pressurized situation for players, and it kind of makes the bar higher. Um, number two, I think this this era of basketball is the most friendliest basketball we've ever seen. I, if you look at whenever Kevin Durant left OKC, and he it was his first year in Golden State, what was the main headline that whole year? The beef between Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant. And, yeah. and that's what it comes down to is that NBA has not really seen a more heated rivalry in how many decades? And, I mean, th- that's, that's why we kept talking about it the whole year. How many times did Russell Westbrook get asked, oh, Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant? It got to a point where the man was like, stop asking me about Kevin Durant. I don't care about him. And, but the NBA had to make some type of headlines, Bleacher Report and news outlets had to make headlines just so they can start getting some more viewers. If you go back in the 90s, go back in the 80s, I mean, there was a bunch of players that did not like each other. Michael Jordan got into how many fistfights with Scottie Pippen, the bad boy Pistons. I mean, the list goes on. New York Knicks, um, Charles Barkley and Shaq got into fights. Everyone got into fights. So it's, I think for me personally, and I'm trying to go back to this point, is that if you do not like someone, so, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use an example real quick. If me and you were to play a one-on-one in basketball, yeah. I, I think I wouldn't try as hard if I was to play a one-on-one with someone I despise. And that's what it comes down to. I think if it's a fourth quarter with two minutes left tied game and it's the, it's the Eastern Conference Finals, I think there's a more pressurized situation, a more will to win. If, you're, if someone that you do not like is guarding you compared to your best friend, your best buddy, LeBron James and his banana boat crew guarding each other. I understand that basketball, you're not supposed to take friendships into the game of basketball, but I definitely think that if you have a more hatred for, excuse me, you have a hatred for another player compared to a best friends with another player, I think that it just, the bar is higher. And that's, that's, I think, that's why I think back then, if you look at just everything around them, the whole situation that kind of was around all these players, I think personally that the bar was set higher. Uh, I think it goes back to where you said, I think back then we didn't know who's going to win. I mean, we keep in mind there was two three-peats by the Bulls. The bad boys, you know, got two. I mean, they obviously ran that error. Then you want to keep in mind Bill Russell went on the eight-peat. So in terms of back then, I think every generation has their dynasties, and I think that's that's what we don't – that's what you're not looking at in terms of back then. I mean, those two three-peats, I mean, nowadays we know we're li- we were at that dynasty of the Cleveland and Warriors going back and forth. But with all that aside, in terms of success, I mean, James Harden's given you 36 points, of, 36 points a night, and he's not even, you know, first for MVP. If he puts those numbers, you know, in the 90s or 80s, I mean, he's arguably MVP by a mile. And you got guys, defensive players, you know, Paul George, he's an offensive scorer. 
and he's also getting a Defensive Player of the Year award. I mean, those guys back then, all they could do is play defense or all they can do is play offense, and there's just a handful that can do both. I mean, nowadays, you, you got – you got a Paul George, you got a Kawhi Leonard, a Kevin Durant. And I agree with you on the talent got, aspect. This era is way more talented. Not, not just in terms of talent. I mean, it takes a lot more into that. It's a lot of hard work, you know, that you're putting in outside of the gym. I mean, in terms of talent, I mean, back then, if you had talent, you're staying in. Nowadays, you can have talent, yeah. but it doesn't mean you're going to be in the NBA for a long time. It doesn't even guarantee you success. I mean, you take into account Andrew Wiggins has one of the longest verticals in the league, one of the longest dudes, one of the most, you know, versatile defenders in the league but he has no success simply because of his work ethic so in terms of talent I don't think it can really define your success in the NBA this day the, this era but I think it's all about the bar is being set higher it's it's what you do you know in the gym what you do in the offseason night in night out how you take care of yourself and there's been a handful of players who came into the league they weren't all that but now I mean they're they're a force to be reckoned with um number one you talked about the dynasties that were going on and you're right. Every single era has their has their own yeah. dynasty, but I don't. I don't. And you can agree with me. This Golden State Warriors team with five All Stars, we've never seen a team like that. And that's and that's why I think that we all know who's gonna win, especially in this era. I mean, we. But all, that doesn't necessarily define this era for player success. I mean. No, no, no. But I'm, yeah. but I'm going back to my because you know my point was basically about how we did not know who was gonna win. And yeah. sometimes, and but this era, especially these early 2000s, 2010s, excuse me. We know that the Golden State Warriors basically run the show. Five superstars, I mean that, and that's that's crazy. Shout out to Golden State and uh, you know what, for what they've done. Shout out to GM. Shout out to yeah, I mean he's nice he's done an amazing job, but I mean and that's 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 kind of what I got to. Uh, I definitely understand your point of view. Don't get me wrong. I think especially with social media, the way that players are getting paid, players are getting paid outrageous amounts of money, and the, there is there is a bar set higher. I'm thinking of I'm thinking of it more of a ra- uh, a ratio. I think if you were if you kind of put yourself in the '90s, obviously players take care of themselves, and there was some type of treatment. Treatment has advanced, obviously. I think if you put yourself in the '90s, put yourself in today's NBA, um, I just think that there's a more there's a more tent like there's a tension going on that's kind of unmatched in today's NBA, and that's kind of what I think of it. That's a viewpoint that I kind of get to it, but I definitely understand if you think that the bar is set higher for today's NBA, and that's what it comes down yeah. to. Yeah. And I think it can, in terms of even on and off the court, because we look at a guy, you know, a good example, Gilbert Arenas. You know, he was one of the league, you know, leading scorers in the league at his time, in his prime. He was one of, you know, the best players in the league. But the thing that really derailed his career was his, you know, not what he didn't do on the courts. You know, coming into the locker room, bringing in arm possession, and that really affected his career overall. He could have gone down as, you know, one of those great players and arguably a Hall of Famer had he never made those decisions. I think nowadays, you know, there's too much lights can't, and lights and cameras around players anywhere they go, everywhere they go. So you, there's things that you can't do that you'd get away back then with, but you won't get away with now. Like, for instance, you talked about the aggression and the NBA being more friendly. Well, they have to. I mean, Serge Ibaka got into a fight, which, you know, it That was barely it a fight. Escalated. Yeah, barely a fight. He gets fined 450000 I mean, if I'm, if I'm going to come into an NBA game – and the guys, you know, talking trash. I mean, that's all I'm going to do. I'm going to let it go. I'm not trying to get fined, you know, what is it, a fraction of my paycheck just for, you know, something that was escalated or something that I didn't even start. I think that plays a huge reason why. I think it's good on the NBA's end. You don't, you know, want to 
publicize fighting things like that you want it to be a friendly sport i think to an a competitive extent. sport i think because i like and i agree with you i don't i definitely don't want to see fist fights going on every other night yeah but i definitely think that the nba kind of has to tweak the rules you look at trey young he hit a three because him and it was the other night it was against chicago trey young was going at it with uh, chris dunn they weren't physically going at it they were just talking mess trey young hits a three stares at chris dunn and gets ejected yeah. And are, are you t- are you really like you're seriously telling me like that's ridiculous? I think that's more of a referee issue. I, but I, mean, I don't think the rule book necessarily says you know. A but but what what are the referees preaching? They're yeah. they're they're only they're only officiating what's in the rule book, and that's kind of I'm guessing that's the gist. That's the type of things that he got from the rule book. That specific referee that gave Trey Young the technical. But and that's what it comes down to. I think you should be able to let players kind of push and shove each other, talk a little mess. But I think whenever hands are actually thrown, that's when like the punishment's got to get severe. You look at the Rajon Rondo, Brandon Ingram, Chris Paul situation. That was the first fight in ha- like ac- like first actual fight in how long? Like yeah. like that was that was serious since Nate Robinson. And how and how often did we talk about that situation? We I mean headlines were going crazy about Rondo, Chris Paul, Brandon Ingram, the suspensions that they were going to yeah. get. It was a week. It was like a week long subject that we talked about. And I mean that I don't know, man. I I, I definitely think that the NBA can fix some of their rulings, and kind of make the league a more – and that's the hard part for the NBA, kind of ch- kind of finding that medium. Yeah. You know, being able to talk mess, be physical and whatnot, but also making a player-friendly league, make everyone, you know, freedom of movement and whatnot. So. I, mean, I mean, you can look at it from many perspectives, but I just look at, like, an overall understanding, you know, of how guys can succeed. I think the bar is definitely higher. And a good reason, I think, is Dirk. You know, no one thought the Mavericks would get out, get out of that first round that, you know, that 2011 season. And in terms of, you know, how we said talent, talent's not a, not enough in this era. I mean, Dirk, you know, arguably wiped out three dudes, you know, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, LeBron James, you know, at the peak of their careers, single-handedly with role players. I think, you know, there's there's not many guys who can pull off what he did, but it, it all comes down to, you know, it's all about, you know, how you work and how bad you want it nowadays. Because the next man in line's always there to take it. And you can never be too comfortable with the posi- with the position you're in. I feel like that's always been the case, though. I think even if you look at but back, back then, then, we had plumbers playing in the league. I, like I, I understand like that back joke. Then, I could have I could have just finished my final exams and played for the you know who knows the Chicago Bulls. I, I like I can't like I understand that joke and it's funny and whatnot. All love to Jordan though. But yeah, like seriously, there were some bad guys in that era. You yeah, look- but there was also some. Bad guys <laughs> in terms of – I mean, if you look at the teams in those areas, like some of those teams in that era could give this – a lot of these teams, especially like if you look at the Philadelphia 76ers, let's just put – today's Philadelphia 76ers, let's team them up with the bad boys. The bad boys would run them out the gym. Dennis See, Rod. The, bad boys, the thing with the bad boys, they'll get fouled out. Yeah, and also, also depends. It also depends what era we're playing yeah. in. And so you got a point. And they got rid of uh, hand checking and things like that. Yeah. So uh, who, who knows? That's a question that – you can't really answer. But that's why I think you can define if, define if a player is great. How well they do in, uh, with the specific ruling, the specific era that was evolved and whatnot. And, I mean, that's why I, I judge Dennis Rodman as one of the greatest players to play the game. Because, obviously, if you put him in today's era, he'd look like a, what, a lesser version of Draymond Green, basically. But he was an outstanding rebounder, did everything for his team, and was a defensive anchor for that Chicago Bulls team and for that, what, for the Detroit Pistons yeah. team as well. It's, it's, it's all how you excel in, the, in your certain era. That's why I think Will is probably the most dominant force in NBA history 
averaging 50, getting you 25 rebounds a game, breaking every single re- record, changing the ruling for the for the game. I think that's why Will is one of the greatest players and the most dominant force. People talk about Shaq being yeah. the most dominant force. I disagree. I think it's Will. I mean, I didn't see enough Wilt, so I mean, I'm not just going to judge it off of his stat lines, even though they were absurd. But to be honest, I've never watched a Wilt Chamberlain, you know, highlight or even a game, so I don't want to make that judgment. But overall, we got to keep in mind in this era of NBA, you can't just be a center. You got to be a, a perimeter shooter. You got to be a passer because the old school center is dying out, and that takes a lot of you know mastering your craft, a lot more hours in the gym and things but, like but that. But one, but one could argue that. A new school center in today's NBA, let's just say, for example, a Brooke Lopez would not survive in the 90s. And, the, and, and that's kind of, that's kind of what it, you know, it, it's, it flip-flops. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. A, you, obviously, a, a traditional in, center in the 90s would not do as good yeah. as today's NBA, but you can kind of flip it and say a Brooke Lopez, for example, would not do nearly as good in the 90s because yeah. it's a two-point game, way more physical. Brooke Lopez is not the dude that's kind of built for that. But, but taking into account, back then – so guys, they came in the league, they, they you know, did their role at center, scored, and you know, got rebounds. Brooke Lopez is a good example you brought up because he was just like that. You know, he just you know, puts the ball in, he just gets rebounds. Now, in order for him to stay in the league, he had to expand his game to perimeter shooting, which he has definitely excelled at. And I think that's the problem with this era of NBA is that it continuously moves. And now we've seen that you know, everyone's got to get down the three ball. I mean, if you're a center, you got to get it down at some and, point. And the reason why Philly has not won a championship and they will not win a championship ben this Simmons. year is because of Ben Simmons. He cannot shoot the ball to save his life. And he doesn't even try to, you know, work on his craft. And I know he's putting up, you know, nice numbers. You know, he's getting them rebounds, the assists. But that can really affect his success later in the league. Yeah. I think you've really got to, you know – stay up to date but it, it is it is it, it's his second year um i definitely think this this is going to be the off season where he he's a rookie he ben Simmons. <laughs> he's going to take a look at himself in the mirror i think he's definitely going to be able to like if i'm if i'm the coach brett brown i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to tell ben simmons look i want you to shoot they're, they're sagging make yourself a viable threat that's it Th- these guys are sagging off of him not because that they think that he's going to miss a shot. They know that he's not going to shoot it. Yeah. I mean, if it was Giannis, like you obviously people, you see people sag off Giannis. Well, Giannis sometimes shoots the ball. So that's why he sometimes has players come up on him and whatnot. But I mean, I think that's enough for this topic. Yeah. This, this Let's to- talk about another guy in his second year. That Lonzo really can't, ball. that really can't shoot. BBB. Big broke brand. Just kidding. Pun intended. But anyways, back to big baller brand. There's been, you know, speculation, a fraud going on with their manager or, you know, business partner, Alan Foster. Whole lot of issues, baller drama, things Lonzo doesn't need at this point. I mean, he's had a lot going on, you know, things with, you know, his mom, health problems, and now business issues, and now injuries. I mean, what's your overall take on, you know, this whole speculation? Um, whenever Lonzo Ball first signed with BBB, my initial reaction was, like, I understand what they were doing, but I don't think it was the right business decision. I think right now Lonzo Ball's marketability is at an all-time low. You look at whenever he first entered the NBA, hype was around him. Number two pick. He just led UCLA to, what, the Elite Eight or the Sweet 16. Um, he was coming off a great freshman season at UCLA. Um, you know, the list goes on. We projected him to probably be the, the best player in that draft. And he was compared to Jason Kidd. And there was a lot of talks from Magic Johnson that his jersey would be in the Raptors and Showtime is coming back. Nowadays, you got Lonzo Ball missing half the season 
eight, six, and six, not really giving you the flashiest numbers. I will say this though, off the record, he's going to be a phenomenal player. I guarantee you that. I mean, if you just, if, if Lonzo Ball's game is a is a person you really got to watch. If you really know basketball, you really got to watch this guy and see the impact that he gives to the LA Lakers team. Back to the point though, I'm talking about right now. I know he's going to be great right now. His markability is at an all-time low. Not really the player that we expected him to be. Um, obviously, we know that the, LA, that the Lakers are missing him, but he's not the player that we expected him to be. And now it's looking like he's kind of desperate for a fruit, for, uh, excuse me, for a, a shoe franchise, a shoe, a shoe advertisement. We all know that he's probably going to sign with Nike. You look at his Instagram post. You know he had the Nike slogan. And it's just ridiculous what, what happened. I mean, obviously, I feel bad for the dude. I definitely think that his dad did a little too much, you know, creating BBB, creating JBA and whatnot, because it seems like a lot of stuff that they, that they did kind of backfired on them. Going to Lithuania. What happened after Lithuania? He put his son back into Spire Academy, you know. And then after um, – uh, what Leangelo, yeah, the, that's the middle child. Leangelo did not make the NBA. He basically created the, the JBA. So for players that really are not the highest D1 athletes but yeah. still need some, you know, some recognition and whatnot, Lonzo Ball, and now it's looking like BBB is, is gone to shambles. So yeah. I mean, it, the whole thing he's got going on, JBA, BBB, it, it's all coming to an end. And I, I think it was one of the worst things of Lonzo Ball's career simply because now there's speculation that all his injuries, you know, more specific, his ankle injuries was caused due to the shoes, which is, you know, not, it hasn't been, you know, confirmed, but it's speculation. It seems reasonable because he never really had those type of issues heading into the NBA until he started putting on those, you know, BBB shoes, which he also got injured in some BBBs. But overall, I'm glad he's finally, hopefully, if these rumors are true, he's cutting ties. Because I think it can really hurt the relationship between him and his father, who I think he's done a wonderful job, you know, raising three kids, keeping them out of trouble, bringing them into, you know, to the NBA, or at least two of them are going to make it. I don't know if Leandro will, you know, get in. You know, it's not looking good. But overall, Lonzo Ball, his best decision is to sign with Nike, best brand in the world. They really take care of their players, royalties. I mean, what else can you ask for? You're not getting frauded $1.5 million. You have a you have a shoe that can really improve your performance. I think Nike does a wonderful job engineering their craft, and I think it's just the best decision overall. I think Lakers are a much better team with Lonzo Ball on the team, and I think if he gets more aggressive, I mean, they're definitely going to be a, a possibly a playoff you know, contender. They, they, the no, they, they were – say it. They were a playoff team whenever he was playing. They were a fourth seed Christmas yeah, Day. They I don't were, they're necessarily a contender. I think if he gets more aggressive – this team can be scary. This team was scary. I think this team was scary whenever he was on the floor. I, mm-hmm. I definitely will say this. I took him for granted. I definitely. I, wait, first of all, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay consistent. He was a bust in terms of potential. I've been saying that, yeah. and that's the truth. Well, I but, think his potential's still there. Excuse me. In terms of the hype that was yeah. around him. Excuse me. That's definitely. that's that's what I said word for word. I said he was a bust in terms of the hype that was around him. But he still played amazing for that Lakers squad, and that Lakers squad was a really good team. And they were they were hot at the right time. Fourth fourth in the Western Conference. They just beat the Warriors on Christmas Day at Oracle Arena. I mean, they were looking like they were headed up, heading up the right path. LeBron James gets injured. Lonzo Ball gets injured a few weeks after. I mean, things just kind of went downhill. Yeah. And that's what it comes down to. Yeah, I think it's all about hopefully, you know, he can stay healthy. He can get rid of all this off-court drama and just get back to the Lonzo Ball because, you know, he's already been through an MCL sprain, ankle sprain. He's missed, you know, a fraction of his career already. 
So, you know, we just got to see how that plays out and talk about some March Madness. March Madness. So it was UCF. First of all, I want to start off with, uh, you know, the bracket thing. I think this is the last year I'm doing a bracket. <laughs> you know, it seems like every year, it, day, day two is what gets me. Day two, it's like the last three games. I just wanted to say, you know, March Madness brackets, don't do it. It's all a myth. You'll never do good. But continue on. <laughs> so it was number nine UCF versus obviously Thoughtix pick to choose uh, Thoughtix pick to to win the championship Duke. Yep. And it was a, it was a nail biter. I d- we did discuss this before off off the show. We said that this was going to be a tough game for Duke, mm-hmm. especially with Taco Fall, someone that I've kind of kept tabs with throughout his college career. And I mean, it was a tight game. Duke won barely. They won by if it if I'm not mistaken, what was it seven? One point. They won by yeah, exactly. And it, it, now now it looks like there's kind of a formula to beat Duke. I think if you have a big dude in the paint, kind of force him to shoot perimeter shots, it's looking like Duke can be vulnerable. So, and I also want to get to one thing, actually two things. Excuse me. Yeah. Taco Fall is looking. If if I'm the Mavericks, I will take Taco Taco Fall with a second round pick. He's looking like he's a solidified, pretty good big. He he has a he has a spot in the league. I'm thinking of if Boban Marjanovic or Salah Medri, the list goes on. If those guys have 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 spots in the league, Taco Fall should be able to be a rotational player, a seven six big that can. He first of all, he's kind of mobile for his size, a good rim defender. I'm not asking for this guy to come on to to automatically start giving you 35 minutes a night. No 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 no. I'm telling you, if you have a guy like that that can come and play 10 minutes a game and possibly guard a Joel Embiid on certain nights or guard a Nikola Jokic on certain nights. Certain nights wherever the, the opposing team has a dominant center that kind of bullies people, you put in Taco Fall. That's, prob- that's probably the best antidote for those players. And, you know, Taco Fall 7-6 can move. Gave you what? He, there, was, there were so many games this year where he had 20, 20 points, 20 rebounds. His first game in the tournament, 13 points, 18 rebounds, and five blocks. I mean, this guy is looking like a monster. I will, I, I will be glad if the Mavs take him with a second-round pick. This guy is not a first-round talent. He's yeah, not. Yeah, definitely not. He's a, he's a second-round talent. He's, he's a trial and error type of guy. And I definitely think there's a roster for him, a roster spot for him in the NBA. In I think the G League. I don't even – no, 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 not in the G League. I mean, Definitely you, in the G League. No, come on. Look, think about Boban Marjanovic. Think about the impact that he has on, you know, the Phil- – oh, excuse me, yeah, the Philadelphia 76ers yeah. and what he did for that Clippers team. He, he played amazing, what, had one of the highest PERs, came in and played his role, a big body that kind of played defense and got rebounds. you telling me Taco Fall can't do that? 7-6, just get boards and, and, and protect the rim. That's all he has to do. Do not be a starter. Do not be the star of a team. Play your 10 minutes. Play your 12 minutes a game. Do your thing, and I think that's the perfect thing. Let, let, let me let me touch up on the, the Duke thing, all right? You know, you, let's go back to where you said there's a recipe to beat them, and there is a recipe. You got to play a perfect game. I mean, we got to look at UCF, the stat line. They shot 50% from three. You know, Aubrey Dawkins, let me talk about him. He, averaged, he can play. He, he can averaged ball. 15 points a game on the season, and he just comes and balls out. You know why? He had a perfect game. He's shooting 12 of 18 from the field which is, you know, I believe, what, 70, just 60% from the field. He, he had 32 points. I mean, this guy, it was, you know, when they needed the shots, he came up when they needed them. But, you know, luckily enough, Duke, I, I'm not, you know, a believer in luck. You know, Duke closed out the game the way they should have. You know, they missed, you know, big free throws that could have, you know, gave him the edge later down. But overall, they sealed the deal. 
I think, you know, it, it fell into their hands at the end of the game when the ball rolled off the rim. But the recipe to beat this Duke team is you got to play perfect. And, you know, Zion Williamson shot 12 of 24. He's usually shooting 76% from field. But overall, that's the recipe. You got to have a perfect game. I'm not saying it's not doable, but it's not likely. This is going to be probably the toughest game that Duke has. I don't agree with you on the fact that if you look at Trey Jones, I want to talk about him a little bit. Trey Jones, you watch that Duke game. Who was guarding Trey Jones on on some instances? Taco Fall. And that, I mean, Trey Jones, they were forcing this guy to shoot. They were begging him to shoot the basketball. Cam Reddish, he played pretty well the other night. Didn't shoot enough, though. I mean, but this guy has kind of – it's been a roller coaster season for this dude. You got to get your play – and if you – I'm telling you, if Duke has one bad game, and I'm predicting him to have one bad game, you know why? Because these guys are freshmen. It's going to happen. And I think they had their bad game. I think this is – this game is definitely going to be helpful. They had a a few guys with bad games. R.J. Barrett had a solid game. Don Williamson had more than 30 points. I'm 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 telling you, there's going to be a team that's going to find the recipe to beat this team Duke. That's why I don't have Duke winning. I think this team is too underexperienced, and I don't. I, I just don't trust in them. I, a lot. A, a tight game to number nine UCF does not. It does not. I don't have a good taste in my mouth right now. That, that and that's 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 what it comes down to. And I just wanted to say, you know, this March Madness is it's been phenomenal so far. I think we've seen a lot of guys who have been coming out. You know, Carson Edwards. I mentioned earlier on the podcast. He's a guy you want to watch out for. One of the leading scores in the country. You know, he's just been balling out for Purdue. You've got a guy like Jared Culver for Texas Tech. He's looking nice. He's really putting his name into the ranks in terms of, you know, the NBA draft that's coming up. John Morant, I mean, he put his heart out. He just couldn't pull off the win. But I think overall performance, I mean, John Morant really showed guys, you know, what he's capable of doing. He's one of the, you know, one of those point guards who can do it all. He can pass the ball. He can rebound. He can score. He can flirt with a triple-double night in, night out. I mean, I really like the talent that's getting showcased. I think we're seeing the best of players really starting to come out. I mean, you see a guy like Aubrey Dawkins just balling out. I think he comes back one year. You're going to see some NBA scouts' eyes on him just to see what he can do. And I think overall, this March Madness, I mean, there's going to be a lot of nice players coming to the NBA that we, we don't see coming. There's a bunch of good games coming up as well. You look oh, yeah. at number three, Houston, with number two, Kentucky. I mean, Texas Tech. You know, uh, some players that I played against in high school are playing against Jordan Poole in Michigan. I mean, you look at my pick, Gonzaga, was number four, Florida State. North Carolina and Auburn, one and five seeds. Duke, Virginia Tech, that's going to be a great game. Um, I'm going to keep my eye out on the Virginia and Oregon game. I think that might be a little sleeper game. You might see Oregon come out with a W. But, I mean, this March Madness is something special. Um, it's been – it's in every every single March Madness. I, you never know March Madness. In, in March – that's why it's called March Madness. Yeah. It, it's amazing. You just never know. I mean – Florida State is definitely a team that I think no one wants to face in March Madness. I mean, defensively, they, they play physical from, you know, beginning to end. They play a lot of full-court press. I mean, that's just one of those teams that are it, – it's really going to be tough getting by, and I think that's who, you know, no one wants to play at this stage right now because Florida State has just been on a wrecking force, you know, from the get-go. And I think they can really be one of those teams that, that make a further run than I nearly expected. I didn't see Florida State, you know, I, I had Murray State winning that game simply because I, I thought John Morant was going to do more. But their defense just, you know, he had nothing going. I mean, they just shut him down. You know, one of the top leading scorers in the country, one of the most deadliest forces in college basketball right now, and he just couldn't get a rhythm going. So overall, my overall take on March Madness is 
I'm done doing brackets. There's no point. I'm and my overall take is Taco Fall. I would love to take a second round pick on him. I think this guy's gonna Taco be Taco Fall, more like apply at Taco Bell. All right, the NBA's not for you, brother. That's that that was horrible. Anyways, you talking know? about some NFL. Rob Gronkowski, number eighty seven, just retired. Um just came off wait, a, a fresh Super Bowl victory and whatnot. I mean, where does he go down in the all time tight end tight end list, excuse me? I think you can put him top five, maybe top three. I mean, I just don't think you can put him over, you know, the great Tony Gonzalez, you know, the longevity in his career, 14-time Pro Bowl, 15,000 receiving yards. I mean, his record says it all. I mean, the consistency he bring out and just, you know, night in, night out, he was always, you know, one of the best tight ends in the league, whatever year it was, whenever he put on that uniform. So Rob Gronkowski, I think – had we been able to see the full Gronkowski, you know, the full 14, 15-year career, I think he could have possibly went down as the greatest ever. Because we keep in mind, Tony Gonzalez doesn't have rings. Rob Gronkowski has three. But we can also argue that he played with the, you know, Belichick-Brady era, which is a big reason why. I mean, he does have, you know, over 8,000, you know, receiving yards in his career. I mean, I think he's at 9,000 if you add the playoffs and things like that. He has 80 regular season touchdowns. I mean, that's just extraordinary. He, his second year in the league, he receives for 1,300-plus yards, 17 touchdowns, which, you know, you don't see out of a tight end. I mean, overall, I think he'll go down as not just one of the best tight ends ever play, but one of the most, you know, deadliest forces to ever put on a football uniform. Um, I don't even think this is recency bias, but I think this guy is the second best tight end of all time. I look at what he did whenever he was in his prime. Obviously, he only had a nine-year career, and injuries kind of derailed him. But whenever he was healthy, this guy was 6'6", 270, and moved 10 times faster than you would expect someone of that caliber and that, and that size to move. I mean, he was a force to be reckoned with, one of the most dominant forces in NFL history. Three rings, obviously. But when it came down to it, this guy made the best catches, the most important catches, and did everything he needed for his team to win. Great run blocker, could catch balls, was a threat. I mean, he had the whole package. And he also had a touchdown for, what, every six catches? I mean, that's ridiculous. That, that's, that's crazy. I mean, this guy, this guy right here is getting – that's why I have him as my number two. I obviously, you know, respect, you know, the, the, the greats such as Antonio, Antonio Gates and Shannon Sharp and whatnot. But I think Rob Gronkowski has a number two spot. I just – in terms of, you know, his career and how long it lasted, his tenure, I wouldn't give him the number two spot. And we keep in mind he played against, he played with Brady, you know, one of the greatest players that ever played a game, or if not the greatest. So, I mean, that's a big factor of, you know, the impact on his career. But overall, I think I wish we could have seen more. But I understand, you know, injuries. He's, you know, faced a lot throughout his career. I mean, one of them, you know, was gruesome to watch. But, and I think the thing about Gronkowski that makes him special is just the physicality he brings. I mean, you'll see – you'll see defensive backs just bounce off of them. I mean, that's not something we see often, you know, one of the hardest hitters in football just to, you know, bounce off of a six-foot-six tight end. I mean, the force he bring with him when he got on that football field is just I, – I don't think we, we'll, we'll see it in the next, you know, few years from a tight end or from a guy of that caliber. So I think overall a guy who's, you know, a 99 rating in Madden as a tight end, you know, that's also something we don't really see. So I think he definitely – you can argue he goes down as number two. But I think he's in the top five, like, for sure. I, I have him only as number two because he produced Hall of Fame stats in half the, in half the, 
the amount of time the other players took. I mean, you know, you look at all the rings, the stats, the catching yards, the receiving yards and whatnot. He did that all in nine years. You look at what Antonio Gates did, what Shannon Sharp did. Obviously, they had amazing careers. Rob Gronkowski had an amazing career as well, and basically half the time they, that it took for them, it, that's what he did in nine years. They so. shouldn't do it at the level. I think he was he – was, obviously, when Gronkowski was at his best, he's on a whole nother level. I don't think Tony Gonzalez at his best and Gronkowski at his best can compete with Rob Gronkowski. Although Tony Gonzalez, phenomenal tight end, but there's just a, a fine line of, you know, where we can really see what the we can judge a player. Between, yeah. yeah. But you know, guys, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. It's Monday morning. You already know how the man of the hour does it. Starting off my week pretty good. We wish y'all a blessed day. Enjoy the weather. We out.